Hello, and welcome on in. Intern Allen Show 27. Uh, big week of sports. Obviously, NFL football games, NFL playoff games. We'll get to that. A lot of uh, a lot of discourse going on in the Wolves world. Um, fun little post game, but we start with this. Joe Maurer is a Hall of Famer. He's a National Baseball Hall of Famer, as voted on on the first ballot by the Baseball Writers of America, whatever the BBWAA, I think is what it is. Um, a lot of people, I mean, there was, I feel like, when you retired, there's a lot of, like, discussion on, like, would he ever even make it, let alone first ballot. So to get over the 75% needed for the first ballot is um, pretty impressive. Um Uh, it's just it's just uh, kind of really cool, I guess. I don't know. There's there's um, a lot of people who are, like don't like the idea of Joe Maurer being in the Hall of Fame, even if they're Twins fans. Those people are weird. But then also the people who like make their entire personality and like life be about whether Joe Maurer makes the Hall of Fame. Those people are also weird. Ted Schwerzler, if you're listening, I know you're not but that was about you. Um, by the way, I don't know if anybody that listens to this pod knows who Ted Schwartzler is, but I worked with him on Twitch Daily. He's an all-time psycho. Um, goose Ted Schwartzler. Anyway, um, just all-time bad Twitter follow. Anyway, Joe Maurer, Hall of Famer, 15-year MLB career, 2100 hits something like that three batting titles as a catcher won an mvp um we all watched him growing up and i think at the time i didn't really appreciate kind of what it meant to like minnesota to have somebody that's like from st paul and go play for the twins um lead them to a bunch of division titles never had the success in the postseason obviously but um win batting titles, win an MVP, all this other stuff. And then make the Hall of Fame. Like, that has... I saw some stat that nobody that was born and grew up in the town or in a state went and played for a hometown team in that state. I'm saying this like an idiot. Nobody grew up, played for a team in his home state for 15 years without playing for any other team. And then made the Hall of Fame. That's never happened until Joe Maurer. And I think the fact that, like, it wasn't just the home state. He didn't grow up in Alexandria or something. He grew up, you know, a couple miles from the Metrodome. Um, in St. Paul, technically a different city, I guess. But um, same metro area. Playing against all those same high schools. Um, you know, would have been going, was going to Twins games as a kid. Um also, people forget just the, like, incredibly high-level athlete he was. At like every, He was, I think he won state championships in basketball or something like that. 
was the number one football player in the state and the number one baseball player in the state was going to go play quarterback at Florida State for Bobby Bowden um, at a time when that was like, I mean, if you play for quarterback at Florida State at any time in their history, then it's pretty impressive because they're, you know, power five, won a bunch of national titles, et cetera. Um, but at that time, Florida State was one of the premier programs in the country, um, and he was going to go play there. Then Din got drafted by the Twins, obviously, first overall. We all know the story. Came up and then was the best player on the Twins for 15 years. Probably wasn't at the end, but... Um, that entire 2006 to 2012 kind of run for the Twins was... All Joe Maurer um, and Justin Morneau, obviously. And, you know, looking back, I feel like we didn't... Or at least maybe people my age didn't appreciate it. When we were growing up, we are like, yeah, these are the players that are on our team. I don't really care where they're from. We never win the playoffs, but, um, but like looking back now, both Mauer obviously grown up in St. Paul, grown up as a Minnesotan, and Justin Morneau, who grew up in Canada, which, you know, he probably lived closer to Seattle. I think he definitely did. He lived in Vancouver, basically. Probably grew up closer to Seattle, but he's Canadian. He grew up playing hockey, grew up pretty humble. That's exactly the kind of things that um, really fit along with the Twins and Minnesotans and Minnesota sports to have. So I have those two guys sort of carrying the banner for that for the Twins team for for all those really successful years. I don't think I appreciated it at the time. Um, and now, not to make this some sort of like deep bull- bullshit story, but like having lived outside of North Dakota and outside of Minnesota um for a couple years now it's just there's a different type of person that (laughs) exists up in minnesota that doesn't really exist anywhere else and to have joe mauer one of our own somebody that's sort of just like me um do everything he did and then get the get the call to the hall on the first first uh first ballot is really cool also the video by the way of him like getting that call he talks just like everybody that's in Minnesota. He's like, oh, gee, thanks. I, this is great, great news to hear. Um, he's wearing a sweater, jeans, and some smart wool socks, just like my fucking dad would, you know? Like, truly one of the best players of all time at his position, at his sport. Obviously, that's what being in the Hall of Fame means. And he, like... If we didn't know exactly what he looked like, because we've seen him on our TVs for 20 years, like you wouldn't look twice when you saw him at Target or something. You know, he'd look like just everybody else, talk like just everybody else. Um, and so I think that's cool. Um, and something that growing up being a fucking Red Sox fan, like I was being an idiot, I was like, ah, Joe Mauro, whatever. Um, I obviously liked him, had posters of him in the wall on the on my wall, all the stuff, but. Um, I don't think I really appreciated what he was and who he was for this uh, for this fan base um, until maybe recently. Um, and also, by the way, all the people that are like, I don't want him to be the Hall of Fame, they also didn't appreciate him. So they're out too. Um, probably just sounded like Ted Schwarzler there for a bit. Anyway, um, that's that. Congrats.
we'll have more on that when he actually gets inducted all the all the stuff but um onto the wolves not as good news not as not as great exciting fun news um about the wolves so we'll go uh obviously there's the big the cat 62 game and the fucking loss like obviously that's the big thing we'll get to that we'll go game by game uh but we'll certainly get to that um then we'll break down some of these uh playoff games in the nfl all right so two and two since the last pod been two and two a lot of the weeks recently two and two we were three and oh last week but two weeks before that we were two and two and week before that we were two and two so um last thursday day after the last or the night after the last pod came out comfortable win against the grizzlies grizzlies are not a good basketball team uh well below 500 john morant's injured jaron jackson's about all they got going right now um we beat them 118 to 103 edwards had 28 Nas had 20 off the bench um we're actually down going into the fourth um down by i think it was five points yeah it must have been five points but then we beat them by 20 in the fourth to finish the game so you know been sort of monitoring over this past month or so how well this team is closing games it's been a bit of a storyline for the wolves in terms of like concerns about maybe blowing games in the playoffs because we get too complacent or to start playing good clutch basketball as good as that had been in the first couple months for us, it hasn't been great lately. Was very good in this one against, a, you know, again, a bad Grizzlies team. But to blow a team out in the fourth quarter by 20, to turn a five-point deficit into a 15-point win, that's exactly what we're looking to see. Um, worth mentioning, Anthony Edwards had a off-the-backboard dunk, got a little bit stuck, threw it off the backboard, yammed it. Um, sick. It's cool play. Um, I feel like we've seen a lot of people do it in the NBA recently. Victor Wembanyama had one. Um, LeBron is always due for he does it every now and then. Um, uh, Jalen Brown tried one and failed. Um, th- it's not that hard of a move. Obviously, the dunk part is hard. But, like, I've pulled off the off the backboard, get your own rebound layup, like, twice in my life. Um, and usually not in games of five on five, usually in games like 21 or whatever. And obviously I'm not dunking, I'm just laying it up. But I just feel like the like it's not that hard of a move. If I can do it on even some level, like, it's surely pretty easy. Um, but I feel like every time somebody does it, we're just like, whoa! what the fuck no way and maybe that's because they're dunking it but I don't feel like it's that hard of a move you just throw it off the backboard catch it and score obviously it really helps if you're like Victor Wembanyama and you're really long which Ant isn't but you know it's like a sick move it's cool to see it every now and then but I, I I feel like it's like less impressive than a lot of the other things Anthony Edwards does, does. but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know, I just feel like it's not that, like, it's cool, you're like, oh, that's fun, but it's not that hard, of all the things in basketball that are really hard to do, and there's a lot of things, like, that's not one of them, 
if you're able to dunk, you can throw it off the backboard to yourself and dunk. Like, I, I don't know. Um, but nobody ever does it. So maybe it is hard in an actual game. I don't know. But it just doesn't. It's not that hard. Um, over the weekend, lost the Thunder 102-97 at home. Um, blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. So we're talking about closing out games. Did really well against a bad Grizzly team. Did not do really well against a very, very good Thunder team. And after the loss to the Hornets, uh, the Thunder are now the number one team in the West. Um, I think we're tied with them on record or something like that, but they have head-to-head against us. Not exactly sure how the tiebreakers work in the NBA, but um, they're now the number one team in the West. Oh, excuse me. We lost the turnover battle in this, uh, let's say turnover battle. Is that, is that a phrase that people use in basketball? I don't know. But we had 21 turnovers in this game and they had eight. So, um, that's significant. It's the reason we lost the game. Surely. Like there's no, there's no, we lost, a, we lost the game by five and we turned it over 13 times more than them. Good math. Um, So that, you know, that'll do it. Um, So obviously that's really frustrating. Obviously blowing the 10-point lead is really frustrating. We're probably going to have to go through the Thunder at some point in the playoffs if we're going to make some real noise. Um, Probably not in the first round because we're both going to be near the top, but maybe second round, maybe um, conference finals if we get there. Um, The Thunder team is built a lot like us, so it's sort of a natural feeling of rivalry there at least um from us um they seem to be like obsessed with this whole chet versus Wemby thing but like which happened last night um but obviously the spurs are getting blown out every night so anyway uh, i think there's a bit of something there with the thunder and the wolves um very similar team very similar uh sort of team leaders in terms of ant versus shea um they're hyper-efficient offensively. We're supposed to be hyper-efficient defensively. Um, so it's a natural every time these teams come together. It's kind of a couple eyeballs to that. Um, as far as style of play, like, we won the game. Um, we held the Thunder to 102. Um, which is, I mean, they're averaging... 120 a game probably or more they just scored 140 against the spurs last night um just to hold them to 102 is is a very good accomplishment um a lot of the thunder seem to or a lot of teams that play the thunder sorry seem to shea is like really good at driving the ball right he's one of the best uh drivers of the ball in the NBA, especially at the, at the sort of guard position. So he gets a lot of fucking of his, he gets a lot of his points, a lot, a lot of work done driving into the paint, scoring, making shit happen. Right. And so a lot of the team's sort of approach to playing the thunder is to focus everything on Shea and let guys like Lou Dort and Josh Giddy shoot and guys like J dub shoot and whatever. Um, we kind of took the opposite approach. We kind of let Shea get his. He had 33. 
um, led led all scorers by a lot. Nobody else in the game was over 20, I don't think. Um, we didn't have anybody over 20. <coughs> they might have had one guy. Let me just double check this real quick. Yeah, they had uh, J-Dub over 20 as well. Um, or he had exactly 20. Um, but our approach was generally to kind of let Shea get his and then limit the shooters. So kind of a zig versus zag. See this a lot with Jokic where you're like, okay, we got to guard Jokic, we got to guard Jokic. And then some people, some teams take the approach to what if we didn't guard Jokic, guard all the people, so you take away his assists, take away some of the perimeter shots, you know, take away Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray a little bit, let Jokic get 40, but they, you know, the whole offense might not be as, as good as this. So we kind of took that approach against Shea. They had eight attempts, for, or sorry, 24 attempts from three, eight makes, which, you know, they're still making a good percentage, not a great percentage, but those attempts number are way lower than they usually are. Um, and it was effective overall in limiting, obviously. Shea had his big night, but... Um, a lot of the guys that usually kind of let shoot didn't get as many shots up as, as they usually do. And um, it kind of worked. The game plan worked, except then we turned the ball over 21 times in the game. And so, I'll, like, if you say walking into a Thunder game, we're going to hold them to 102, you're like, all right, we like our chances. Because defensively, they're fine, but they're not great. But then we only scored 97 because we turned the ball over a million times and blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead. Um we were outscored in this game in the fourth quarter. Um, let me find it. 28 to 14. Um, just really, really not good stuff. Um, and every, like Mike Conley was turning the ball over. Nas Reed turned the ball over. Traveled a couple times. Anthony Edwards was nothing but turnovers because he's scared of the mid-range a little bit at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like... It's Oprah handing out, you get a turnover, you get a turnover. Um, so that's frustrating, and that can't happen again. It's another sign of this team maybe not quite being ready to be that. Um, obviously, they're really talented, and in some ways, we were the better team in this game, but maybe not ready, maturity-wise level, to be a contender like you actually have a chance to win the title um and more of that in the next game and now it's time to talk about it all right 128 to 125 lost to the hornets the hornets are a bad basketball team they are 10 and 31 or we're 10 and 31 after this win um we lost the game and the number that only that the the entire team the only number they seemed to care about was the number of points next to Carl Anthony Towns' name in the box score. So here's the part where I congratulate Carl Anthony Towns on scoring 62 points and getting a franchise record. Congratulations, you big fucking loser. Um, all right, so I've done the congratulating. Um, all right, no, for, like seriously, like franchise records, it's cool, like whatever. Nobody has ever scored more points in a Wolves jersey. That's like cool. Um, for one game, 62 points is a big number, but like, there's nothing about this performance that says anything other than cat is a big loser because 
He's maybe the most talented loser of all time, sure. But he is uh, just a big loser. Um, because, like, I mean, he had 40 points in the first half, right? Um, 44 in the first half. And so at that point, like, all anybody in the entire team cared about was, like, Carl Anthony Towns is going to score a bunch of points. And all Carl Anthony Towns was like, hey, dude, I'm going to score a bunch of points. Like that, or actually, that's not how he talks. He's like, hey, dude, I'm going to score a bunch of points. That's how he talks. Um, but he didn't even have the highest scoring point game of the of the night. Joel Embiid had 70 and a win. And Joel Embiid's big thing for that game was, hey, let's not force it. Carl Anthony Towns and the rest of his teammates, so like Anthony Edwards passing the ball every two seconds, doesn't exactly get credit or doesn't get to like shrug off the blame either. All the team cared about was getting Cat more points. Not a, not a soul on that team cared about defense in that game. But the Hornets, the Hornets score 128 against them. Um, and so, I mean... You can't say anything other than, like, this dude's a loser. It was pretty clear that he only cared about scoring points. And then to only focus on scoring points, lose the game, and then not even have the biggest scoring night of the of the, of the night, of the day, of the, of the night in the NBA. Somebody else scored more points than you and won the game. Like, it's just like, all right, you're a big loser. Like, you thought you were something, and you weren't. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I love Chris Finch for calling it out in the post game. Um, he said something to the effect of like this is the most embarrassing, immature loss I've ever seen or ever been a part of, blah blah blah. The other great thing is like Anthony Edwards will always in every interview he's ever had, he always says exactly what he believes and what he feels and, and what he thinks. Um, like there's so many like young players that have been, like, so media-trained that, like, they never say anything in their most boring interviews of all time. Anthony Edwards isn't really like that. He doesn't ever say anything wrong or, like, bad, but he always tells you exactly what happened. He says, yeah, I don't know the exact quote, but it was pretty much like, yeah, we just kept, we we only really cared about Carl getting points, so we just kept giving him the ball. And, like, he just said, like, right there, that we didn't care about winning the game. And then Chris Finch comes and they didn't care about winning the game. <laughs> And obviously get mad. And, like, he needs to get mad at them because, like, what the fuck? Um, I, I don't want to make this into, like, a, a, a big thing, but, like, this is Cat, and this is who he's always been. He's always been an incredibly talented player. Um, no seven-footer has ever shot the three ball as well as he does. You know, he's won a three-point contest. He was 10 of 15 from three in this game, and at one point was, like, 10 of 12. Um, like the, like those, his ability to do that is generational in some ways, but he gets a little bit of success and then just like starts smelling his own armpits, starts reading his own headlines. And all of a sudden, like he sucks. And that's just like how it's always been. Um, In the playoffs last year, he did the thing. Oh, now they have to go play us in Minnesota. Now they have to go play us in Minnesota. That's how he talks. Um, 
and then like like we lost every game in Minnesota. Like it's like that type of thing. Cat always does the thing where he like tries to be cool and then it always backfires and it, it just like just play the fucking game. He always complains about foul calls that aren't foul calls, which by the way we'll talk about the fouls in this game. But like he that's just always who he is. He wants to be like the big fucking alpha dude so hard and so instead of doing that he just should play basketball. If he just played basketball in this game, he had a 57 point night, you know, 40 in 44 and a half. That was sick. But wouldn't have forced it so much we get the win and then it's like the whole thing is not tarnished. You're like, "Wow, crazy night from Cat. Big win. Love it." But tried to fucking score 81 like Kobe and then ended up scoring 62 in a loss. Like it's just not cool. Um anyway, we got to talk about the foul calls. Uh the after game, like whatever it's called, the the referee two minute report thing, said that there were ten missed calls in the last two minutes of the game. Seven of them went against the Wolves. Three of them would been in favor of the Wolves or against the Hornets. Um, so obviously that makes a difference. In a three point game, that's probably a difference between winning and losing, right? Um, so that's fine. That being said, this team is bad. Cat had forty four in the first half. We had a 15-point lead going into the fourth quarter. It never should have been that. It never should have come to that at all. At all, at all, at all. Um, so, like, you can't blame the refs because I'm almost glad that the refs did cost us the game because if we win this game, then I don't think any of, like, the lessons are learned or, and we don't get Chris Finch being as mad as he is. Or maybe he is, but nobody's paying attention because we won the game and it was haha cool that Cat scored a bunch of points. And obviously, like, it's a regular season game, so, like, there's no reason to be freaking out as much as I'm freaking out. Maybe. But it's just indicative of everything that Cat has been in this career and everything that this team has been kind of up to this year. Where the second anything start, good starts happening, we just, like, foot off the gas completely, blow big leads, start worrying about things that aren't actually what we should be worrying about. Standing on the table in the play-in game, like... Sure, that was fun. But, like, win the games. Be a fucking serious NBA franchise for once. Um, and the after-game after, after referee report, whatever the fuck it's called, two-minute report, um, also said that Cat, on his final drive that would have essentially won the game, um, was fouled twice, once at the beginning of the drive and then once on the arm mid-shot. If you watch the replay, it's clear. Cat talked about it in his post-game presser after that. He know, knows he was fouled. That's fine. But when you've been forcing it for an entire quarter where you've lost the lead and then you drive into four people, one on four, and lose the ball, nobody's giving you the benefit of the doubt because you're, you've been forcing it the entire... You've been forcing it and taking bad shots and turning the ball over the entire quarter. And you go into a four-on-one, and you turn the ball over. People kind of expect that to happen. Yes, you were fouled. Yes, it was the wrong call. But, like, even in, like, high school, the kid that runs on a fast break against four dudes and turns the ball over, he may have been hacked, but, like, you're never getting that call because you just put yourself in the wrong position. Referees anywhere assume that, all right, one-on-four, he's going to turn the ball over. Oh, maybe he was fouled, but, like, that's exactly what I expected to see was a turnover. And, like, it's not an excuse for the ref, but you can't 
put your like can't cry about calls when you've been like playing horrible basketball for an entire half basically because you're worried about your point total anyway that's enough of the wolves um brandon miller was really good in this game miles bridges was really good in the game too to be fair um brandon miller 27 points was shooting on target and uh was gunning down the Wolves lead. I, I wrote in my notes that I have to make some jokes about Brandon Miller shooting people. So I, that, that's what those were. Anyway, um, Miles Bridges, also a criminal Loki, um, had 28 as well. Um, anyway, uh, we also played the Wizards last night. Sort of a bounce back game. I mean, the Wizards are dog shit, so like it's not impressive to win by 11. We won 118 to 107. But... And the Edwards had 38. By the way, he had nine against the uh, the Hornets because he just kept passing, and then he wasn't in rhythm when he tried to start scoring himself and whatever. Cat um, had 27, and had 38 against the Wizards. Um, neither shot well from three, but and that's probably why we didn't shot 28% from three. That's why it wasn't a bigger bigger margin, but pretty easily took care of the game. That's fine. Uh, but you're not getting, you're not hanging a banner for beating the Wizards. So, um, yeah, coming up, rest of the month, we got the Nets, the Spurs, the Thunder again, and then the Mavs. Um, two of those teams have losing records, and uh, Nets and Spurs, and then Thunder, obviously a big game. Um, and then Mavs are a good, pretty good team, especially offensively. But I feel like we play the Mavs a lot. Um, but whatever. Um, let's move on. The NFL. Packers are dead. Um, thankfully. Uh, they lost the 49ers in a game that was way closer than I thought. I expected a bit of a demolition. A bit of a blowout. Um, but it was a 24-21 game. Um, sometimes I, you know, I feel like I know a, de- a decent bit about ball, especially about NFL football by the end of the season. I pretty much kind of know who these teams are. Um, and I think a lot of people that watch a lot of the games pretty much kind of know what the teams are. I'm rarely like completely surprised by how a game is going. Um, and I was completely surprised by how this this game was going. I, you know, we've heard the thing about Jordan Love. We know he's pretty good. Um, you know, he beat a relatively fraudulent Cowboys team, relatively fraudulent quarterback last week. Um, but I was like, all right, the Niners, like they're built to win the playoffs. Like this is not going to be a problem whatsoever at all. And then they led and were the better team for 90% 90% of the game, and Brock Purdy makes one drive to win the game, and, and they lose, but they're, I mean, they, they it felt for much of this game that they were just better than the 49ers, which makes no sense because the defense is so horrible for the Packers and had been so horrible, even in the, the Detroit, or the, sorry, the, the Dallas game, that, like, going into the fourth quarter, how was San Francisco scored 14 points? How have they only... <laughs> How are they down to a touchdown? 
And I was like, all right, there must be something crazy with the turnovers. There wasn't anything like, like Green Bay is the one that, you know, turned the ball over twice. And obviously one of them was the pick to end the game, which we'll get to. But Green Bay, I believe, um, they actually did not out, out, out gain San Francisco, but it was very close. Um, had a couple good good field position things from a kick return, but like overall they were just kind of better than the 49ers for 50 minutes of this 60 minute football game. Um, so how did it happen, right? The run game. The run game was very good, and Packer or sorry, Niners are supposed to have a pretty good run defense. Aaron Jones had. 18 carries for 108. Six yards of carries, you'll take that every time. Um, he was very good in this game. A couple other guys, you know, six, four for 16 from Manuel Wilson. Jaden Reed had a big run for nine yards. Um, just kind of like chunk play after chunk play, you know, along a 53 from Aaron Jones, but just got more done in the run game than I think anybody was kind of expecting them to. Um, something about, I don't remember, I saw this stat on the broadcast, I don't know if it's, I didn't look it up since then, but first 100-yard rusher all year, something like that, I could be totally wrong, that's scored against, uh, or that's gained 100 yards against the 49ers. Um, then Jordan Love was pretty, like, pretty good again, but not prolific in terms of yards, just sort of, they just kind of did enough to score enough points to be in this game. And the real secret is, or the real question is, like, why wasn't the 49ers offense better? And the answer to that is Brock Purdy wasn't very good. Missed a lot of throws. Seemed like he was struggling with the rain a little bit. Played at Iowa State. Should be used to the rain. Um, don't really know what that's all about. Had a glove, then didn't have a glove, then was wiping his hand. It wasn't wiping his hand. Like, and then just kind of missing throws. Um the other thing is, and I think this is something that's been looked... We talk about Brock Purdy a lot. Like, and National media has talked about Brock Purdy a lot in the sort of few days since this game, right? Um, Debo Samuel was hurt at some point in this game. Um, I don't actually remember when it happened, but it was pretty early in the game. Um, if you remember last time Debo Samuel was hurt for this team, they lost three games in a row. There's something that that man does to this offense that makes it a lot sort of more multiple. Um, he gives Brock Purdy another really good option that he trusts and that can get a lot of yards after the catch, which is important in the this offense. Obviously, the last time Debo was hurt, Trent Williams was also hurt at the same time, and he's maybe the best player in football. But um, So it's not all Brock Purdy's fault that this game was close. And obviously, he made the really good drive to win the game. But I think there's definitely part of it. Um, and it's going to be interesting on whether Debo actually plays next week. I think that makes a big difference in how um, the game goes. We should talk about the Packers. Um, they are a really impressive football team. Um 
they're good kind of everywhere on offense, out of nowhere. Great quarterback, great wide receivers, still a good running back. He's a little bit old, but A.J. Dillon's fine too. And you can, Manuel Wilson is pretty decent as well. Um, and you can just kind of find a replacement there if you need to. Um, offensive line, they've gotten a lot better, kind of out of nowhere again. Defensively, they're bad, but they have some dudes up front. Um, really just got to fix the secondary, and they obviously fired their coach. Um, and they're young, and Jordan Love, I don't know what kind of deal he's on because he's been around a while, but it just feels like they're going to be really good again for a really long time again. And um, that sucks. Maybe it just doesn't happen. What if it just doesn't happen? Sometimes teams are really good. And you're like, wow, everything's it together, and then it just kind of blows up. Like that happened to the Texans with Sean Watson. Like, what if that just happened? Like, what if it just happens like that? What if it just blows up? Whatever. It might not happen. Um, as far as the Niners, next week they play the Lions. Um, I wonder if there's a little bit of, like, learning that can be done for how well Green Bay ran the ball against them. Um, they used like guys like Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed, really physical wide receivers helped out a lot in the run game. Um, Green Bay has two tight ends that can block and catch and Musgrave and Kraft. And I wonder if somewhere in there, just using everybody to help out in the run game is, is something that, um, that the Lions can kind of learn from a little bit. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is a guy that I look to be really important in that game, both blocking and, and catching the ball. Obviously, Sam Laporte is a, is a really big asset in that game too, but I think that the Lions are going to need to lean on the run game a little bit because I don't think the Niners' run defense is as good as it seems, um, at least all year, because they're facing primarily teams that were trying to pass the ball against them because they have so many leads. Um Let's get to the let's get to the Lions game now. Um, beat the Buccaneers by eight points. Um, my main like takeaway from this game is that we have to respect the Buccaneers a little bit more than I was on this on this program. Um, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of weeks this year we're going through the NFL games. We're like, oh, the Bucks played somebody. Who cares? They're bad. Um, and then they beat the Eagles, and we're like, all right, that's more of an Eagles completely blowing up thing than it is a Bucks or good thing. But they played a very competitive game against against the Bucks or against the Lions here, sorry. Um, and Baker Mayfield is very competent, and Mike Evans is really good, and the defense has dudes everywhere, some like really big scary dudes everywhere. Um, and they just like were really they were in this game the entire time, end up losing by eight. You know, comeback falls a little bit short, um, you know, because Baker throws a pick to end the game. But Baker had over 300 yards passing. He was very different than, you know, I used to call him just like a slightly better Gardner Minshew at the, at the beginning of the year. But 349 yards passing is nothing to laugh at. Three touchdowns, obviously the two picks don't help. Um, they actually outgained the Lions in this game. The second week in a row that the Lions have been outgained and still won. Um but the two turnovers from Baker are probably a difference in the game. Um, but, yeah, my, 
my main takeaway, I, I I went into this game expecting Detroit to kind of dominate. I think I thought they were a much better team. Um, and technically they did cover. So that did happen. But I just, the main takeaway was Tampa Bay had a drive to score a touchdown and get an extra point to take this thing to overtime. And I never really expected them to be in that position. Um, so I respect, that's me putting respect on the Bucks. So I've done that. Um, The Lions. They seem to... The defense is a little bit of a concern, right? So, seem to take big leads and let teams kind of come back on them a little bit. I think that might just work against the Niners. If they are able to... I, if I'm the Lions, I'm taking the first half kickoff if I can. Try to get a big lead and see if Brock Purdy can't play from behind. Because they don't play from behind well. Um... You know, they maybe don't maybe don't win this game. Oh, we didn't ever. Sorry, we got we got to go back. We got to talk about the we got to talk about the Niners more. That pick from Jordan Love. Forgot to talk about that. I said in the moment. I started writing down in my notes in the moment that it looks exactly like Brett Favre from two thousand nine. At that, while I was writing that down in my notes, Loon Schmidt was in the in the Loon chat. Saying that it looked like 2009 Brett Favre. Neither of us had even. This is also like an indicator of how like traumatized we were by that moment. Neither of us even had seen the video because it had literally just happened. Neither of us had even like gone back and revisited the 2009 video. But we're like, I've seen that play before. That looks like 2009 Brett Favre. And then, like moments later, they're showing the video on on TV or it's on X or whatever. And, like, it looked exactly like it. And neither of us had even seen the video before. We were like, this looks exactly like it. I mean, that play is just ingrained in our brains. Um, also, Dre Greenlaw, like, thinks he's had Reed if he has the ball in his hands. There were two two returns here where he's running around making people miss just because he's never had the ball in his hands. And, and like, at the end of the game, potentially costing his team if he fumbled um, the game. So um, that was funny. Uh, let me make sure I didn't mess up anything else in the notes. Bad kickers. Both teams had bad kickers in that game, though, so I'm not, you know. Andres Carlson is bad. Jake Moody's also bad, but definitely doesn't help. Right. All right. Now we can move on for real. Um, Jameer Gibbs was really good in this game. Um, really efficient. Didn't have a lot of touches, but... Um, Really efficient way to use him. Had uh, nine rushes for 74. Had four catches for 40. Um, caught all his balls, too. Um, I think a guy like that going to be important against the Niners. A guy like David Montgomery going to be important against the Niners. Um, although he wasn't great against the Bucs. Um, Jared Goff was pretty good, too. Um, if You know, he was great. Yeah, he was good, but not, like, great. 287 yards on 43 attempts isn't exactly what you draw up, but um, didn't make the big mistake that Baker made, a couple of mistakes that Baker made. Um, they just kind of took care of business. It felt more like a take care of business game for the Lions than a, wow, I'm really scared of the Lions thing. That being said, I don't hate how they match up against the Niners, so I think that game should be pretty interesting. Um, 
What is the line at? We favor the Niners seven and a half points at home. Um, I kind of like Detroit on that. That's a lean. I don't actually bet, so like, just letting you know, that's how I lean. Um, just because I feel like there's some holes in the Niners that we didn't maybe know were there, and I think they're the type of thing that Detroit can can um, take advantage of, even if they themselves didn't look that great um, against the Bucks. All right, AFC time. Let me take a quick water break. All right. Texans-Ravens was the first game and the least interesting game of all of the games. Um, the Ravens are the best team in the playoffs remaining, and the Texans are a year away. And then you, that was very obvious in this game. Kept it close early. It was tied at halftime, kind of in a very fluky way. Um, I don't know what the live line was for the Ravens there, but I imagine it was pretty uh, indicative that they were for sure going to win. Um, even though it was tied at halftime, that was a lot of that was from punt return touchdown. Um, they killed they killed the Texans in the run game. Um, Lamar had a hundred running the ball himself. Uh, I believe the running backs combined for about a hundred between them as well. Yeah, just to sell at sixty six, and Gus Edwards had forty before he got hurt. Dalvin Cook added twenty three. Vikings legend. Um, nineteen of those were on one carry, by the way. So that tells you. He had eight carries for 120, or he had eight carries for 23, 19 yards on the long. So that means he had seven carries for four yards other than that. Um, he's cooked. Anyway, um, Lamar was great passing and throwing, two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns throwing, no picks. Um, the defense kind of ate up CJ Stroud. Um, he wasn't bad but just was not prolific, didn't make any mistakes again, but 170 yards on 33 attempts, 175 yards, 33 attempts is not good. No touchdowns. They didn't have an offensive touchdown all game. They were just pretty, pretty clearly the worst team in this game. And, um, sometimes that's kind of all that there is to say. Um, I kind of, I said last week that I didn't expect CJ Stroud to play well or them to win the game, but, um, yeah, it's just kind of a butt whooping. Sometimes you just get your butt whooped. Um, CJ Stroud ends the year. One of the best rookie years we've seen in a while. Had over 4,000 yards passing. Um, 23 touchdowns, 5 picks on the year. Won a playoff game on the road in which he played really, really well. Um, and then got lost to a better team. But that's one of the best starts to a career that we've seen in a long time, obviously talked about it a lot on the spot, but things become pretty well known that CJ Stroud, you just kind of know that he's a guy that's going that we're going to hear about for the next ten years or more. Um, so, shout out to him for that. Um, the Isaiah likely uh, Lamar thing in this game was pretty cool. Um, obviously, Mark Andrews out here. I think he's going to be back next week. 
but they miss a touchdown early because Lamar throws it low or outside of Isaiah Likely. He's like, dude, just throw it up. And you can see him on the field. Just be like, throw it high. And then in that, immediately in that moment, Lamar's like, oh, shit, you're right. Pats his head a bunch of times. I'll throw it high next time. And so then to see the beginning of the fourth quarter, um, very same spot on the field, almost exact same situation. Lamar throws it high as they likely just kind of floats up in the air, catches it in one motion, hands it to the referee, touchdown. It's kind of it's kind of cool to see. I like that they showed us that on the broadcast. Um, like in the in the moment, Lamar immediately like, oh yeah, you're right. And then I'll get you, and then you see him put that into play the very next time, score a touchdown. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm slobbing on their knob right now, but whatever. Uh, it was pretty cool. Um, not a lot more to say about this game. Ravens. I think are the best team left in the in the um, in the playoffs. I think the Niners show that they have a couple holes that we didn't know they had before this week, and I don't. And the Ravens certainly didn't show any holes. Um, great wide receivers, better than Lamar's ever had. Mark Andrews comes back, and they were kicking teams' ass without him. So um, on to the Bills, Chiefs, twenty-seven, Chiefs, Bills twenty-four. Um, Travis Kelsey had two touchdowns. First he's scored in a while since like week 11 or whatever. Trust me, I know as a fantasy owner. Um, Mahomes was good, efficient, didn't have to throw the ball a bunch. Um, they ran the ball really well with Pacheco. He's been great all playoffs. Um, Josh Allen was good, not great. I think he ran he ran the ball a lot and and that seemed to be their only offense at the time it was josh allen scrambling and getting in the end zone that way um this game ended on a missed field goal for bills fans wide right it's something that's happened in their history a bunch and so like obviously that's going to be like the main takeaway it's like oh we were at a field goal away they it just they were just not as good of a team as the chiefs were for most of the game um there were just a lot of like couple of missed throws, a couple of drops, things that you can't really have in the playoffs that the Chiefs just didn't do, even if they're not as talented in in theory. They just didn't play as good of a game. Um, and I think that, you know, and they kind of got lucky with the, like the Chiefs were the better team and they won the game, right? And the Chiefs also turned the, like, turned the ball over touchback out of the side of the end zone on a fumble that could have been a touchdown so they're like an inch away from a, another touchdown difference in this game um so the bills benefited from one of the most lopsided rules in sports and still lost so it's like not really a missed field goal was it obviously the demar hamlin like the demar hamlin fake punt thing was it is, is funny like okay it's funny like I laughed, and I've been laughing at all the jokes I've seen online about it. Sometimes we forget that he, like, died on the field and survived, and that's, like, super awesome. So, like, I'm admitting that, that sometimes we forget that and how cool that was. Um, but also, like, the jokes are hilarious. Like, Jamar Hamlin becoming a meme because he, like, doesn't really play a lot anymore. It's kind of funny. It's kind of really funny. Um, so... It is where it is. Anyway, that was like they made that huge mistake. Um, and maybe it was an auto call because there weren't enough men on the field or whatever. But 
fake punt on your own 25 and not getting it is a huge mistake, and they weren't even punished by it, right? Because of the most lopsided rule in sports and the touchback. So I just think that the the Chiefs are better, even though they're not as talented, and that's just because Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the planet. Like, it's not necessarily all oh, the Bills lost or they're bad or they have to blow it up. It's just Patrick Mahomes is the best player on the planet. Unless you unless you have him, you're probably going to lose to him most of the time. Um. Yeah, I mean, also the Chiefs' defense is good. Young, I like a lot of the dudes. But it just, like, the Bills just felt like they were the worst team. And usually the worst team loses. Um, it almost was, like, surprising that they had a chance to kick the field goal to win or to tie the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's obviously been, like, however many years in a row now that Buffalo has lost the Chiefs to... Um, to get eliminated from the playoffs. So there's, like, obviously a thing there. And this is the first time it's been at home and in the playoffs and we thought there was a chance, et cetera. But Patrick Mahomes is who he is and took care of business. And um, it's on to it's on to Baltimore, really. Um, like, it sucks if you're a Bills fan, but there's nothing... Like, they were the worst team. And they're only the worst team because they didn't have the best quarterback and Josh Allen is really good, but it is what it is. Um, the line for Ravens chiefs is three and a half in favor of Baltimore. Um, I think Baltimore wins this game. I just think they're, they're too good of a football team, but I'm saying right now that if Patrick Mahomes just play slightly better than Lamar and then just kind of win the game and they just kind of keep doing what they've been doing, like, I will not be in any way surprised um, that that happens. I would probably lean on betting the Ravens still because I feel like the Mahomes thing is kind of baked into the price. Um, obviously, three and a half is worse than, like, two and a half. for, But, like, I don't know. I just think the Ravens are a better team. On both sides of the ball, they're more complete than the Chiefs are. And it's at home. Yeah, that's that's what I'm taking. All right. That's the games. Um, talking about some NFL coaching hires. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh was hired um, either like yesterday, I believe it was. Yesterday in the afternoon. Um, it's Thursday, by the way. I started from this pod at like 11. So um, never said that at the beginning of the pod, but that's what it is. Um, so Jim Harbo was hired Wednesday afternoon to the Chargers. Um, obviously, Justin Herbert's there. They got some weapons. Need to upgrade offensive line running back for that offense. Um, need to figure out the defense as well because it's been kind of a mess. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Um but quarterback is not one of the worried spots, and I think that's exactly why Jim Harbaugh wanted to go there, because once you figured out the quarterback, the rest is kind of a lot easier to do, um, as we've seen with like the Texans this year. Um, a lot of people have been talking about Harbaugh to the Chargers for months, or not months, but like a month maybe. Um, because of those reasons, it's just sort of a natural fit, a quarterback guru 
um, guy who played the position matching up with one of the better young quarterbacks in the league seems like a natural fit. Everybody else seems to think so too. And that's why he was hired. Um, sometimes the most simple answer is the one that ends up happening. Uh, Antonio Pierce was retained by the Raiders this is objectively the right move. Um, they played really well under him. It's a zag from what the Raiders used to be doing, where they just bring in some high profile coach who might actually suck. But, um, Instead of the guy that's shown a rapport with the guys. I was shocked when Rich Bisaccia wasn't hired. And then just became a special teams coordinator somewhere else. He was so good. But Antonio Pierce was good in the same way. And they did not make the mistake this time. And it's the right move, I believe. Um, the, way he, the way he talks about football with that team is it's really fun. Like, yeah, I want you to be violent, blah, blah, blah. That's cool. I want, I want that from KOC. Wish he had that in him. Probably doesn't. Um... The Titans hired the Bengals' offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, I believe is the name. Um, that's cool. Um, it feels like a very Titans hire, where they fired a better coach and then hired a worse one. Um, also, the Titans are not... There's a lot of high-profile coaches that are, don't have jobs right now, including the one they fired, but also Bill Belichick, also Pete Carroll, um, Obviously, Jim Harbaugh just got taken off the market. It was very clear that the Titans were never going to get that level of coach and that they were going to... Even guys like Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick are like a lot more high-profile than the guy they hired. Um, you know, it seemed very um, likely that the Titans were going to get maybe the last pick in the in the coaching carousel draft for this, uh, this offseason, and that maybe is exactly what happened. Um, or at least one of the later picks. I don't think anybody was really talking... A big game about Brian Callahan, which, again, I'm not even sure that's his name. Um, didn't really hear about his name as, like, a hot coaching candidate until they, like, hired him. Um, but the Bengals' offense was very good. It was very good even without Joe Burrow. Um, a lot of that credit has gone to Zach Taylor over the past couple of weeks or past couple of years. But, um, you know, I guess if you hire a guy that's close to that and try to recreate that in you know, if they recreated that offense in Nashville, I don't think any Titans fan is upset. So I think, um, as far as the hire goes, it's not exciting but um, for Titans fans. But I guess, it, you know, it's something. Um, and it may be good. Um, I believe that's all I had. Let me check the notes, see if there's any more. Yeah. Uh, Post-game time. been playing a lot of beach volleyball this is on the post game that's that's the post game this week um seemingly out of nowhere uh goose rachel and goose sophia were just like yeah we we play beach volleyball all the time now and we're just like we go to miami beach on the weekends and we play on campy on weeknights and it's just like like i've been playing a lot with them and they like this i probably turned down invitations like half the time they're playing like every fucking day they're playing beach volleyball out of literally out of nowhere like, they didn't, they didn't do one damn thing athletic for a year and a half of knowing my friends. And all of a sudden, like, oh, we play beach volleyball, like, every day now. Like, okay, I get it. Like, and so I've been playing, like, a decent amount. Just to be like, all right, this is fun, you know. If I was planning on working out that day, I'll go play some beach volleyball. Maybe it's, it's not a workout, but I'm not exactly, you know, not exactly Sam Sulik with it. But, um, you know, get my body moving, get a little sweat on. Like, you know, it's good enough for me. I'm having fun. Um but I'm kind of nasty. I've always been good at volleyball for no reason. Um, 
every other sport that I've ever played, I am like obnoxiously slow at like picking up sort of skill. Like I learned golf. I, I played golf or like when I started playing golf, like I learned very slowly and everybody learns golf slowly, but I've seen people learn way quicker than me. I'll tell you, I'll say that. Um, learn basketball very slow, just like generally not a very athletic person. Um, any other like sport that nobody's ever played that like I pick up and play with my friends, like they all pick it up way quicker than I am for whatever reason. Volleyball is the opposite. I'm like, I like learn volleyball quickly for some reason. Maybe I'm just playing against NAFs. That's very possible. I'll say that. Um, but like for whatever reason, it just kind of feels right. Most of the time it's like kind of easy. Um, and, 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 uh, it's been fun. So I, you know, I don't know if hard body 2024 is going to happen because volleyball isn't like that great of a workout, but maybe I'm just going to become like a sick beach volleyball player. All right, that's post game. That's the show. Um, volleyball emoji. Uh, there's a couple probably. Just choose one. Peace.